Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Miyoko Shinner. Miyoko is the fearless CEO and founder of Miyoko's, a food brand combining culinary traditions with food technology to revolutionize dairy by making cheese and butter without cows. The pioneer of the plant-based cheese revolution, Shinner is a passionate culinarian, former restaurateur, best-selling cookbook author, co-host of the national PBS cooking show Vegan Mashup, and a founding board member of the Plant-Based Foods Association. Welcome to the podcast, Miyoko. I'm so delighted to have you here. Well, I'm delighted to be on it. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So how did you come to such a strong mission around plant-based foods? Oh, gee. You know, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've been at it for over 30 years, and I have been uh, developing, uh, I guess, how I manifest that mission over, it's been a journey over 30 years, and I started out, uh, when I first became vegan over 30 years ago, and I realized that this was going to be my life's mission, and I started out as a very quiet missionary who simply wanted <laughs> to introduce people to this way of eating simply through Uh, their taste buds because I was making great tasting food through all my different businesses. And the mission never changed, but I've just gotten to be more and more outspoken about it. Well, how did, how do you see the impact of what you're doing um, as, as having on within your business in the community and the larger world? Well, let's start with a larger world because that's really, you know, what's, driving behind uh, all of this. Um, So for example, if we were to reduce the amount of animal agriculture and go to to growing crops to feed humans, we could reduce global farmland by 73%. Mm. We could reduce uh, the impact of agricultural uh, uh, greenhouse emissions by 76%. Um, It takes up to 35 calories of inputs into, for example, a cow to get one calorie of protein out of a cow. Um, and so if whether it's beef or, and, and that can vary from anywhere from 10 calories to 35 calories of input in order to get one calorie out for a human. So we're basically cycling nutrients through an animal and it's a very, very inefficient process. It's just mm-hmm. much easier to eat the plant sources directly which is what you know, cows do to build muscle, and that's what gorillas do, and, and elephants, and just about every large land mammal gets all of their nutrient needs from eating plants, and we can do the same. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I was very struck by the, the stats that you just gave, and also some of the things on your Tomorrow's Creamery website around cashews versus cows, because your, a lot of your products are based 
are they all based on cashews or, or the cheeses? Is it limited to the cheeses? Well, they are based on cashews right now. That was the first crop that we decided to start with for a variety of reasons. And one of them was simply taste. Uh, cashews produce a very neutral dairy-like base that can be turned into a variety of cheese and butter and other dairy-like substances. So it was a really, really good uh, ingredient that provided that sort of fatty uh, feel that, that people miss when they don't you know, eat dairy. Um, it also provides protein, it provides starch, it provides a whole host of nutrients uh, without the cholesterol or the hormones or anything else. So we started with cashews, but we're not by any means sticking only with cashews. We're actually developing a line of cheeses now that feature uh, legumes and potatoes and rice. Oh, wow. How interesting. Yes. It's lots of fun. And those cheeses are still made in the same way we're making the cashew cheeses, which means that we inoculate, we make some sort of milk or base. We inoculate it with uh, lactic acid bacteria, which brings down the pH and transforms that substance into something that's akin to cheese. Well, I know that uh, you were a big fan of dairy cheeses at one time in terms of the taste and the feel, and I am as well. So I, um, I, I'm really curious to try your products and see oh, what the yes. relative experience is, because that's so much part of eating well and, and enjoying your food. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I'd like you to try them um, and, and, and get your reaction. You know, we try to get them into as many mouths as possible. <laughs> well, uh, interesting thing too is this isn't limited to the, um, the to the animals. You're also looking at land use. So the acreage yield of uh, six thousand pounds of cashews, cashew cheese per acre versus two hundred sixteen gallons of milk uh, per acre. I mean, the, it's such a huge divide. It's such an enormous difference in terms of utilization of all kinds of resources. It really is. And another thing is water use. Um, so as, as, uh, as we have on our website, um, cashews are an interesting crop because they only grow in the tropics and they require no water input at all. It's just rain. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no irrigation. Uh, so it's, it's even though, yes, to grow a cashew, you need water, but it all comes from the sky. Um, so that's a really interesting crop compared to about a thousand gallons of water that's required to make about a pound of cheese, dairy cheese. Um, it's just inefficient all around, whether it's, we're talking about land use. Uh, there was a study done here where I live in Marin County by Berkeley about how much land, uh, by University of California, Berkeley, about how much land was needed to raise uh, a cow in, Cali in uh, Sonoma and Marin County. And you need about 10 to 12 acres of land per cow uh, to for them and that's only six months of the year when there's enough grass for them to feed and beyond that you have to supplement with feed so that's a lot of land um, conversely you can grow 55,000 pounds of potatoes on one acre of land which would feed a lot more people and that's a very very real concern it there's an urgency to the matter because we are exploding in terms of global population and we have to figure out how we're going to feed nine to 10 billion people by 2050. This is a very, very real problem. Right now, animal agriculture takes up over 50% of all US land mass. That's a huge amount of land. Uh, it's yes. responsible for about 50% of water use as well. And you know, we need to ensure that we can feed people in an equitable fashion uh, across the globe. And, and not just you know, where I live, which is a very uh, 
affluent area. And a lot of people here can afford to eat, you know, what's called grass fed or free range mm-hmm. or organic beef right. or drink milk. But that's not a solution for the rest of the world, unfortunately. Um, this isn't going to feed people in food deserts or people in sub-Saharan Africa or, or something else. So we need to figure out how we can produce food as inexpensively and as nutritiously and as sustainably as possible. You know, one of the, the issues is, for example, a lot of the beef consumption in the United States actually comes from uh, places like Brazil, where they're decimating rainforests. Animal agriculture is the leading contributor to the decimation of tropical rainforest, which is a, a huge carbon sink. And so the more trees we cut down, the more carbon we release into the atmosphere. And unfortunately, a lot of that is because of our um, desire for animal products. Right. Yeah, I mean, you you really laid out the larger implications of all of this. So um, in terms of your role, and you have many, <laughs> how do you manage all of them? I mean, some of them that I found about you, entrepreneur, nonprofit founder, restaurateur, I, I, I think at one time, chef, author, you've written, I believe, four books, an advocate for plant-based foods. Um, that's a lot to pack into a, a, um, a day. <laughs> well, it's not all, yeah. I mean, a lot of that, you know, goes over, uh, we're talking about through the history of my, the uh, trajectory of my, uh, my career. So, you know, I did have a restaurant, mm-hmm. I had a bakery, I've written five cookbooks, I uh, had a show on uh, that aired on public television and, and so on and so on. So I've done a lot, but right now what occupies most of my time is running this company, Miyoko's Kitchen. I'm also on the board of the Plant-Based Foods Association, which is the first trade association to represent this burgeoning new industry. And then uh, I also uh, am a co-founder of a nonprofit farmed animal sanctuary called Rancho Compasión, uh, where we rescue um, farmed animals. We uh, host educational programs where school kids come in and 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 learn about um, the lives of the the very interesting lives of the individual animals that we have at the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So what led you to move into the nonprofit realm? Did you see a need there that you wanted to participate in? Well, it's all really intertwined because it's really all about making connection with our food. And what I am really trying to do is to motivate people to look at other beings on this planet, other non-human animals um, as not food, but as, um, as, as friends or, or comrades on planet earth. And, um, our food choices are responsible for the decimation of wildlife and species extinction. It's the single biggest contributor to species extinction. Um, every time we wipe out um, a species, um, I'm sorry, every time we cut down the rainforest, for example, we're, we're losing all kinds of species. Um, and so, and, and the same thing in the United States, um, rangeland, um, all sorts of prairies and, and forests are being destroyed in order to create grazing land for cattle. There is a U.S. Uh, government services called the Wildlife Services, and their uh, single purpose of existence is to um, manage, to exterminate wildlife that either encroaches on grazing land or threatens um, cattle. And so every single year we kill about a million coyotes, black bears, wolves, uh, blackbirds, crows, mustangs, uh, burros, donkeys, 
wild horses, etc., cetera, uh, because they're competing for that grazing land um, on, on public lands. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very serious problem. And I don't think people realize the extent to which wildlife is being exterminated and perhaps being led to extinction um, because of our love of, of hamburger and cheese. Um, and so because of that, you know, I started this farmed animal sanctuary to uh, have the opportunity to save some farm animals, such as pigs and goats and, and chickens and cows, and to be able to connect people to them and to, to show them that they are actually individuals, that once you get to understand their language and spend time with them, it's just, they're just like your dog. You know, every dog owner is so proud of his or her dog and says, <laughs> my dog does this. And right. you know, my dog isn't like your dog. And every, every dog owner understands that every single dog is different and they have feelings and they want to live. And our hearts are, are you know, we, they cry when, when a dog is sick or is, you know, left at home. I mean, it breaks our hearts when we have to go to work and leave our, our animal at home. But sure. it's really the same with all these other species. We just haven't taken the time to get to know them. And once you get to know them, they want the, the same love that your dog or your cat does. I mean, I have a goose that just follows me around and she just wants nothing but for me to pick her up and cuddle with her. <laughs> I have cows that do the same thing. When visitors come, the cows are not on the hill grazing. They're down by the barnyard wanting adoration from people. Um, and once you understand their personalities and you realize that they also want to live, they also want to express their feelings, um, it's a beautiful thing. And then you ha- kind of just make that connection between, you know, that piece of steak on your plate and that cow you just petted. Right. It makes you think twice about the rights of other animals. Well, and we're encouraged to not anthropomorphize them, but yet... They can still be animals and their own beings they, they, and have yes. that full experience. That's exactly right. They are their own beings, just like, and, and they're all individuals. It's not, you know, I used to myself think, well, cows must be this way. And then I found out from having several cows, they're all very different. They have mm. different personalities. And, you know, I know what they're saying now. Um, it's really fun to learn um, other species languages and, and kind of know what there's, you know, I can recognize them by voice. I know which one is, is uh, mooing or bellowing. Um, and I, I can pretty much tell what they're saying. Hmm. <laughs> That's great. Well, to kind of turn back a little bit to your business, I, I know that you started out more with uh, high end kind of, a kind of high end brand approach and you're shifting more into the mainstream. And I, I know that's at least partially due to impact as well as expanding your business. How, what's that process like, kind of making that, that shift? Sure. Um, there's, there's a book called Crossing the Chasm that yeah. kind of looks at that at adoption of things in the, in the mainstream. So I'm really intrigued by what your experience is. Yeah, that's a really, really great question. And uh, honestly, that was the, the plan all along. Um, you know, it was my goal to show the world that uh, vegan cheese was not a laughable thing. And up until recently, you know, vegan cheese was kind of artificial tasting, very plasticky, it was nothing that you were going to put on a cheese board and have with a glass of wine and impress your fellow non-vegans. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to, I didn't want vegan cheese to be the laughing stock of the plant-based foods, you know, movement. So I wanted to 
I wanted people to be able to acknowledge that vegan cheese could truly be fantastic. And, and so I wanted to, that's why I started with a premium line of things that were, um, that you'd be proud to take to a Christmas party or something. Um, so that was the goal. And then of course, you know, that's going to have a very limited audience of, for, first of all, early adopters and people who can afford to pay that premium price. So the goal was then to, uh, bring the price down a little bit to produce products that were, I would consider select. So a little bit higher quality and higher price point than everyday products, but still um, affordable. And then um, our goal really is to, uh, not to dumb it down, but to bring down the price and use ingredients that are more affordable, such as legumes and potatoes to produce cheeses and butter that can be enjoyed by everybody and will be at an everyday price point. Hmm. Well, I know your business has grown with uh, outside investors and VC support, and I work with high-growth startups, so it's something that companies like yours are always asking themselves, when is a good time? Is it a good idea? What's, uh, why did you decide to involve investors in what you wanted to do? It, when I started um, my first business you know, 30 years ago or so, uh, at that time, there was very little money available for CPG, uh, for food brands, um, especially in innovation. If you're trying to do something that was completely different and new, you know, there just wasn't any money to be found. Nobody was interested in plant-based back then. Um, and it was such a, a new market that growing organically was the right way to do things. Um, I think there's a sense of urgency now with the 10 billion people that are gonna occupy the planet, with climate change, with all of these uh, things that are going on, there's an urgency to grow this movement as fast as we can, to replace the um, existing in, uh, economy with a new infrastructure that's based on sustainability and compassion, and to do it as fast as we can. In order to do that, to, for these businesses to grow as fast as possible, uh, we can't do it without financing. Uh, and so I wanted to partner with strategic, uh, like-minded investors who were interested in moving the needle as much as I was. Hmm. Well, and there's, of course, the benefit of the, the access to capital, which really helps when you're, especially in a manufacturing situation, there are capital outlays that you have to make and um, all of those things. Absolutely. It's yeah. expensive to build a plant, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I read in a, a, an article about your business that um, you had an experience of building an initial prototype plant and the acetic acid released by the cheese in the aging room led to corrosion and you had to rebuild. Yes. Uh, that's, that's kind of the error part of trial and error, and, and uh, it kind of rolls off the tongue, trial and error, but you have to actually face it when something goes awry. How do you deal with those kinds of situations? Is that something that you just take in your stride and you carry merrily on, or you know, are there some things that you've learned around resilience and, and dealing with those kinds of things? Yeah, definitely you become more resilient, but the fact is anytime you're making a new type of product that's never been done before, you know, there's no manual you can consult. I mean, I, there is nothing that, there's not a single publication in the world that could have let us know <laughs> that uh, fermenting large amounts of cashews would re release acetic acid into the atmosphere. You know, we had to figure out why was this corrosion happening? Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, it's, that's the risk you take when anytime you develop innovation. Um, 
when you do anything that's new, there's going to be risks and, and costs associated with that. And, and the hope is that you can work through that as quickly as possible, learn more about it and be the first to write the book on it. And I feel like we're doing that. We're a pioneer in this, in, in this arena. Um, I think we've made it easier for other companies to enter the arena. Um, and I welcome them to the fold. And um, it's, yes, it's, a, it's costly. It's a headache. Um, it's scary. It's super, super scary. You know, when all of a sudden it's like, oh, no. I, and you have to dump thousands of pounds of something. And you don't feel very good about it. And not just the, 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 the loss uh, of, in revenues, but, you know, just uh, having to compost all of that is, is still taxing the environment. So you want to be able to minimize things like that as much as possible sure. um, for the greater cause. But yes, it, it's scary and exciting at the same time. <laughs> that kind of sums up entrepreneurship right there. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit when we're talking about resilience and it's, uh, it's the question of leadership. So how do you define, if I were to say impactful leadership, what does that mean to you when you hear that? To me, it means becoming someone who can inspire others to follow suit, to take up the cause, to do what they can to move the needle. And, you know, I don't, it's been a, a, a learning experience for me to develop into that type of leader. I think I still have a long ways to go uh, to become that person that I want to be. Um, I, I trip up and I fail frequently. Um, but if we're going to have impact, then we need to be able to um, touch other people and make them light up and feel inspired to make change, to become change makers as well. Hmm. Well, are there ways that you've cultivated your leadership skills? Are there different things that you've done or has it been a mix of serendipitous things and, and things you've done? As I mentioned early on, in the very, very beginning, I never really spoke about why I was making plant-based products. So 30 years ago, I, I, I was afraid to speak about it. I was afraid to speak about the impact, the purpose behind my brands. Um, and I, you know, I had a, a number of uh, businesses uh, all, all dealing with vegan food. Um, and I was afraid to utter the word vegan um, for fear that, you know, I would scare people away. Um, and I would go to some party or something like that. And people would ask me what I did. And I just kind of hem and haw and beat around the bush and, and, and just say, I, I, I'm, you know, I have a little bakery. I make cake, but I would never talk about what kind of cake and why I was doing it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, time was short. Um, and my opportunity for really being true to my core, my soul, and being able to speak honestly and with compassion and, and care about um, why I was doing what I was doing, um, you know, that I was running out of time and I needed to do that. So I, I often joke that I was a closet vegan for a very, very long time. And now, um, you know, I'm at the, head of the, the, the I'm at the head of the parade holding my vegan banner up high, um, trying to inspire people, trying to show them this is an exciting, fun, sexy lifestyle that it's, you know, it's, it's like if someone says, oh, you're vegan, I'm like, oh my God, you're not. Oh, you are so losing out. It is so fantastic. <laughs> you should try it sometime, you know? membership is free. It's open to all, but it's like really just trying to get, you know, kind of joke around about it. But, um, 
show people that they can be powerful beings, that they can become agents of change just by making some shifts in how they eat. It's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, which is a bit of a vegan mecca because there are actually vegan restaurants here. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> for a town its size. I know you're going to be here later this week for the, the Momentum Summit. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing for people to be able to really rest in that, but also to share a little bit about what they're eating and why it's important to them. And uh, I have a friend who's a vegan and she's shared a lot. It's certainly made me think a lot about my eating habits. And I haven't quite made the conversion yet, but certainly influencing me in that direction. Well, Ursula, in my book, you're a (laughs) pre-vegan. Well, that is very likely so because I do love animals. I, I, I cannot reconcile that within myself. It's true. Yeah. Well, you know, those are the things that we, we all wrestle with that. We all wrestle with, you know, as they say, cognitive, cognitive dissonance and, and the incongruities and, and things like that. And, it, you know, it's really a matter of time. It's, it's an awakening in all of us. Um, and being able to communicate that in a way that doesn't push people away, um, but that invites them is, is something that I'm striving for uh, to become better and better at that. Hmm. Well, it's interesting hearing you speak about being inspiring because it sounds like a conscious choice on your part to really be someone who can um, contribute in that way, can influence in that way. Is that something that you, you give thought to how you can do that? Or is this just a natural out, outcropping out, uh, extension of what you're already doing? Oh, nothing is natural. Everything is intentional. I, I have to spend so much time thinking about how do I do this? What do I say? And I, you know, I um, admit I trip up quite frequently, but I strive to become someone who can inspire others. I love that. What you said is that everything is intentional because I I completely agree. Even if it's not conscious, it's still a choice. It's still intentional. At least that's the way I heard it. Yes, it is. But it is becoming more conscious. I mean, I have to consciously make that intention, that intent. So I really do think about how do I say this? What do I say? Uh, And oftentimes I go through it in my head and then I scratch to say, no, I can't say that. What can I say? And it depends on the, the, um, the audience or the you know, the person that you're speaking to, how you frame things. And I I don't always succeed, but I really try. Yeah, that's great. Well, even that's inspiring. So that's good to hear. Well, I'm really interested in uh, your, the culture at, at your company, Miyoko's Kitchen. And you have a I suppose in a way it's a manufacturing type company. It's a food brand. I understand that. But in terms of the kind of work that people do, there is a bit of a divide between people who are working in the factory versus those who are perhaps in the administrative roles, or do you not see it that way? Is it, how do you integrate those and how do you build a culture that's that's aligned across the board? Sure, that's a really, really great question. And that's another area where we've worked really hard. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna be talking about this um, at Momentum soon mm-hmm. um, in a few days, but um, you know, that's one of the things that, that I've struggled with. Um, in the very, very beginning, we had employees who were all mission aligned. They were handpicked, you know, we were only four of us or so. And 
and we were all vegans and we were all rah, rah, we're going to do this thing. And, you know, it was all great. And then um, around 30 people or so, um, I felt like it wasn't my company anymore. Um, the, the mission had been watered down. I didn't know who was running the company. I didn't know what people's belief systems were. Um, we were just becoming another business manufacturing a product. And I realized this is not the company I wanted to create. And I had to figure out what kind of company do I want to create? What is the culture that I want to create? What, uh, what do I want to impart to every single employee here? And so as we've grown, um, our, our culture's actually gotten stronger. We're at, about, we're at over 110 employees now. And we have uh, made mission part of our not only recruiting but our onboarding process where everyone uh, is, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but you know, they understand um, what we do here, why we do it. We have videos we show them. Um, you know, we um, try to, we have uh, brochures and things that really explain to every single individual who comes here why we do what we do and that we're not just making vegan cheese, we're really trying to sell this mission. Uh, we're trying to promote this mission. Um, we also, in fairness to everybody, have tried to, you know, we pay a fair, we, a, a, a living wage. Um, we provide good benefits and we have a full-time chef and sous chef that provides uh, three meals a day to our entire staff. And we yeah. felt that one of the rules we have is that you can't bring any animal products here. So we we're asking mm -hmm. a lot of people who are hourly workers not to be able to bring a sandwich from home, you know, that has bologna in it. We didn't think that was very fair. We don't require that everyone's vegan, but they have to be vegan while they're here at work. Um, mm -hmm. And so it seemed to be the right thing was to feed everybody. And, and we do that. And so through things like feeding people, um, the onboarding process, um, the monthly meetings that we have with our entire staff of over 100, where we celebrate people's birthdays um, and achievements of every department, uh, have transparency into what's going on with the company um, and, and talking about um, teamwork, uh, we have created a stronger culture than ever in the history of this company. And I'm very, very proud of that. But it's required uh, the cooperation and the hard work of our HR team, our marketing team, um, and a lot of other people. Um, and I'm just really, really happy about what we've been able to do. It was very scary for a while. I thought, oh my God, this is, I don't know what's going on. How are we going to be able to do this and have everyone on the same page? It's a challenge for uh, impact-focused companies to really maintain the mission as you grow because, you, you know, as you said, you're bringing people in that aren't necessarily intimately involved with you in the early stages, and it's, uh, it's a significant challenge, I think, for companies to do that. It certainly is, um, but I think there is a way to do it. You can do it, and uh, I would say 50 people ago, I was you know, not certain if it would succeed, but we have, and I think it's because of the great team we've built um, that's helped to implement all these programs. Yeah. Well, there's a, a saying about culture, uh, kind of eating strategy for breakfast, is the Pete Drucker quote, and uh, what happens when you shift strategic direction in the company do you what kinds of things do you do to help do you to do you do to help people and bring them along in the shift in direction or has that not has that not really happened we haven't had any really big shift in direction um so far i mean we just keep expanding and getting bigger 
but I would say that our management meetings um, are more frequent. Um, that we, we're spending a lot more time working on communication between interdepartmental communication um, and communicating what we're doing to the last person here, um, to everyone here, so everyone knows what's going on. And that is so huge when, you know, let's say a line worker knows um, what his role is, what he's, why he's doing what he's doing, and, and how he can contribute to change at the company makes him feel valued. Um, and so we just worked really hard at doing that. And, uh, you know, we haven't had that sort of strategic shift yet, but I think it's working. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, Miyoko, I, I'm really interested in how you manage your own energy because you're uh, often the, the face of the company, you're involved in uh, management of it. How do you maintain your, your energy? Do you have a morning routine that you do? Are there other things that you do to help stay in, the, in a position where you have, always have energy to draw on? Well, I think when you have a mission, when you have a reason to get up in the morning, you, you, that already, you already wake up high. You already feel energetic. Um, but, you know, I'm like every other entrepreneur. Sometimes I don't sleep well, et cetera. But I, am, I start my day every day uh, outside with the dogs, going for a run, uh, shoveling manure uh, at the farm animal <laughs> sanctuary, hanging out with my animals. They are my, part of my meditation, and they help me stay grounded. Um, I spend, you know, if I'm home for the weekend, I'm not traveling, I will spend a lot of time with the animals. It really keeps me focused and grounded and, and re-energized. Um, but I'm a very outdoors person. I think that starting my day, doesn't matter how cold it is in the morning, I'm outside by, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock, uh, breathing the fresh air, um, moving my body, exercising. And um, that really just sets me up for the day. Mm, that's great. Well, and it's something all entrepreneurs have to deal with. It's not, uh, I mean, some people can really work themselves into um, a situation where they you just don't have the energy to do it anymore. So it's super important. Yes. I mean, if you can't, if you don't have the energy, it, you know, it will drag you down and got to keep that energy up and take care of yourself physically. That's very important. Yeah. Well, Miyoko, I always end these interviews with a rapid round of three questions. Are you game? Okay. <laughs> First one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? The biggest thing I have learned about having impact is that every single person can have that impact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to think that it, we had to wait for someone else to have that impact until I realized that I had that power and everyone else does too. Uh, which is why it's so important to share that power with everyone. That's great. Well, the next question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? <laughs> that's really funny because I have no idea. I, th I think what it is, <laughs> is, is is learning from my mistakes and picking myself up after every single failure because I've had so many businesses and most of them really and you know just ended in failure and i had to just pick myself up i you know i heard one time i have three kids and i heard one time that women have the power to forget because if you didn't have that power to forget you'd never have another child <laughs> right. it, it, the, the, i'm sorry the, the ability to forget pain not 
the ability to forget, but the ability, right. women have the ability to forget pain. And I think that's, I have, I'm going to, you know, I feel like I have a spring of eternal hope inside me because I'm just an eternal optimist. I don't seem to give up and I don't know why, but I would encourage anyone and everyone, you know, you don't know at what age, at what point in your life you're going to hit that jackpot when things are going to start going right. Um, and so don't give up, just pick yourself up and just keep on trudging. Mm, I love that. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd give to another business owner is asking, how can I have more impact? How can I contribute more? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many ways that you can contribute more, but um, I think the first thing is really to become very, very, very intentional, to become consciously intentional, as I mentioned before, about what it is you're really trying to do. And then making sure that whatever action you take, whatever product you make, whomever you speak to, that intention resides in that moment. And you'll find that you start to succeed more and make a bigger impact. I love that. Well, Miyoko, thank you so much for sharing what you have today. Your, your company is really on a cutting edge and it's very exciting to see its growth. I appreciate you sharing the inner workings of what you're doing to help your business grow and be successful. So thanks for being here today. Well, thank you so much, Ursula. It was a joy to be on your podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, they can go to our website, www.miyokos.com, M-I-Y-O-K-O-S.com. And uh, uh, they can write to info at miyokoskitchen.com and they will forward that email to me. Great. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. Well, thank you so much to you too. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.